Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Invest Like a Boss. This is episode eight. This is Sam Marks, and I have on Mario Lucibello, who is my CPA and also my very good friend. And on this episode, we're going to talk about structuring atypical investments and peer-to-peer lending strategies. And the reason I thought it was important to discuss the structuring of investments, however, it's not always enjoyable or entertaining to talk about, is because after I became more serious in investing and starting to look to invest in lots of different vehicles, I went through this major crisis of going from speaking to a CPA only once a year to trying to figure out how to live my life as an investor and to manage dozens and dozens of investments. So I made a series of phone calls, interviewed lots of different CPAs and finally found Mario and we hit it off and were able to put together a plan and strategy for starting this this new journey. Uh, so we talk a little bit about this and then we're going to go also into detail about Peer Street, which is a new peer-to-peer lending platform that is secured by real estate, strategies with that and Lending Club and a plethora of other types of investments. So please enjoy episode eight with my good friend and CPA Mario Lucibello. Ring, ring, Mario. Sam, what's going on? <laughs> Welcome to the show, my man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me on this fine Friday afternoon. Yeah, thanks for having me, although it is early Friday morning for me. Well, being across the world, we have to make the uh, times work. And I'm in Singapore. You're supposed to come visit. I am. I am. Um, you know, having the nine-month-old has, has put a damper on travels as of late. Well, it's only like a two-day commute here and a two-day commute back, so. Ah, you know, so we might as well stop by for an hour. Take, take, take a week <laughs> off and uh, come join for a couple of days and we'll, we'll have you back on your way. Yeah. Um, but there is, I, I've been going to the, Dave, I, Singapore's got this string of speakeasies, like these underground bars. Mm-hmm. They have a whiskey bar here that's got 1,600 different whiskeys. They have whiskey oh my God. that was, was bottled back pre, pre, uh, pre-ohibition. Prohibition, what do they call it? Prohibition. Prohibition. Prohibition, yeah. Whatever it is. So they have they have whiskey that was bottled back in like the late eighteen hundreds that you can drink there. It's cost like fifteen thousand dollars, but I'm just a saying. little above my pay grade. But, yeah, uh, but just, I, I am I am a big bourbon fan, so <laughs> so I'm sure I would enjoy myself. <laughs> well, they have all the all the ranges, but uh, things get pretty out of control there. It's it's quite a place. And what are you drinking this morning? Because I am drinking so, red wine. So, you know, I, I've heard there's a ritual on this podcast to always be having a drink. So we, even if it is 9 a.m., I've got a nice bottle of W.L. Weller uh, bourbon. So it's, uh, it's a nice little 12-year-old bourbon here. And it's, uh, you know, not too bad, not, not too expensive, not too cheap. But well, the, the question cer- is, do you, certainly do, you ha- delicious. Do, you, do you have the bottle or are you drinking it? I have the bottle. <laughs> you, gotta, it, you, you have to be drinking it. And, and well, <laughs> considering I have no glasses in my office, I'm actually drinking it out of the bottle. That's why we pay you the big bucks, Mario. You you get it, <laughs> my man. You get it. Well, you see, the only other thing aside from this podcast on my agenda on this beautiful Friday is uh, calling about either 12 or 14 different sales tax authorities and arguing with them. So I figured the bourbon is probably going to help my day. Well, hopefully you're not calling any of them on my behalf. 
<laughs> no, 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 not, not this time at least. <laughs> Tell them I haven't made money in three years and to go away. <laughs> you can testify to that. So, dude, thanks for well, thanks for joining the the ritual with the the booze. Um, I know Johnny will be happy. Uh, so, virtu- virtual high five on that one. Oh, I'm game. I got a. I've gotten really into the Australian Shiraz lately. Okay. So I got a bottle of, of uh, a red red wine drink. Yeah, okay. yeah, heavy heavy red wine, and I've had a bottle here that I picked up at duty free. I've been waiting to crack, so I've been waiting for an occasion. I thought this would be as good as any. Yeah. See, fall winter, I'm kind of more into the uh, the red wine. Uh, you know, it's getting hot around here. Uh, you're a se- you're I, a seasonal guy. I am. I am. You know, uh, I don't know what it is. It's just. I just can't get into it over the summer. Yeah. Bourbon for the winter, red wine for the fall, springs, and then what's in the summer? Well, the, the thing is, I do bourbon year round. Okay. So, gotcha. <laughs> Not too but you know, I do, I do scale it back a little bit over the fall, winter, and I do get into the red wines over the uh, over those times. But the summer, you know, it's usually kind of a beer drinking time. Yeah, makes sense. I'm, I'm, I've never had four proper seasons, so. Um, I guess we're just cut from a different cloth. Yeah. Well, the good old Northeast. That's right, my man. So I was thinking it would make sense for us to catch up a little bit on on uh, my recent investments. And I thought it would be a good idea because it will give the listeners a little bit of context of of how these are structured and kind of managed on a, on a monthly basis, right? Sure. And it's a lot more interesting than talking about tax accounting. So I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, back when after we sold the business in 2013, I went through this this big kind of uh it was it was a really difficult time for me to figure out how to go from zero to managing money and investments. Plus mm-hmm. I had all the I had all the accounting and I had all the um, tax filing from the acquisition and then trying to figure out how to move forward. So it was it was I would say it's a very it was a very stressful time and it was also a time I had to just figure out a lot of things about how to how to learn this stuff that people that have been doing it for so long, you know, and have had so much time learning it. And so mm-hmm. one one call led to another, and I was talking to a lot of different accountants, and finally met you, and then started putting the pieces together on how to kind of structure this stuff going forward because it got it was looking like so much of my life was going to be sort of a business, right? If I do investments in Hong Kong and Florida and, and property here and there and tech startups here and there, then like how to manage all that, how to structure it, how to make sure the reporting is right, the filing. So there's a lot of boring stuff in there, but I would say it was a multi-year journey and the important- It's still a work in process. It's still a work in process. But <laughs> it I think, still is. But I think that the, the great thing for me now is like, yeah, there's still a little bumps in the road and figuring out how to do things, but now I can go out and invest in confidence in more atypical types of investments. Right. Right. Whereas in 2013, I was like, okay, I'm just going to put money in the stock market because we know how to do that, know how to, how to file that. And then as soon as you go overseas and start making investments, and when you start investing in, in startups and, and private investments, the reporting and filing and all this stuff becomes a lot more right. Yeah. difficult, right? The big the biggest difference is that the tracking d- isn't done for you on anything that's done privately or you know for the most part overseas although you know your investment in uh, in Maybank over there was uh we've got a great contact there doing a lot of legwork for us. Right. But um yeah so it turns into those reporting statements that the typical person gets you don't get. 
because of the types of investments that you're making. So it leaves that tracking to both you and I, um, you know, it makes that burden on us, which, mm-hmm. which is just, um, it could be a mental drain. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. you know, you don't want to be mentally drained on tracking things. You know, you'd rather be, you know, putting your mind towards something more useful. Sure. So what we try to do is, is pretty much build systems. You know, I mean, if you put a system around it, you know it's handled, and then it frees up the mental bandwidth more yeah. or less. So some of the things that you're talking about that are automated and, in a sense, handled for you would be investing in, say, Vanguard or E-Trade or any, Bingo. any, yep. any, any managed broker. And I would imagine this is the same in the U.S. as it is for, for pretty much any country, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, you, you go and you invest in Vanguard. They track what you put in, what you've reinvested. When you sell, they tell you, they tell you what your gain or loss is. Mm-hmm. There's no adjustments. It's just, you know, they give me a statement. I pop it on a tax return. I mean, that's extraordinarily easy for me, for you. You know, you don't even have to think about it because you know this is what's going to happen. Right. So they, They've got this under control. And if yeah. we ever try to skew from what they report, well, then we kind of even have a bigger problem because they tell the government what they've reported. Sure. So in, in comparison to that would be something, say, like, well, let's say like the, the maple tree REITs that are based in Singapore, right? Right. Something, something we talk about a lot. Now, we have a good contact here at a, at a bank, an investment bank that kind of puts it together for us. But let's say she wasn't there. There's no statements that come out of maple tree or the bank that say this is how much you made right right yeah and- so so even even there even with the great contact there's still a lot of tracking to do mm-hmm. um you know again the tax classification of those we've talked about is the uh, the passive foreign investments income mm-hmm. so um you know they're giving us great information summarized but we still need to track the dividends you've taken the cost basis then the adjustment every year since we've made the election to mark to market every year. Mm-hmm. So it still takes exponentially more tracking than just getting the statement at the end of the year and relying on it. Um, so, you know, we've got, you know, assuming you keep this investment for a long time, we're going to have carryover information for maybe 10, 20, 30 years. Right. Which, which isn't uncommon in a, any sort of private investment. You know, a, a lot of our clients, we have files that go back forever for um, any sort of private investments, whether it's real estate, whether it's whether it's a small business of some sort, mm-hmm. um, you know, all that tracking, you know, even a U.S.-based small business does not just you know go directly to uh, you know 1099 reporting. So you have to track all those things in 10, any sort of private investment. 1099 reporting being. So, like, you know, the end of the year with your Vanguard statement, they're going to send you and they're going to tell you exactly how many dividends you've uh, received, how mm-hmm. many, um, uh, what your cost basis of any sales are. Right. But any private investment, if you sell any private shares of any small company, uh, they're not going to send you and tell right. you what your basis is. It's so, just not going to happen. So, let's say that, like, the typical person has a, an account with Vanguard, an account with uh, Morgan Stanley and an account with E-Trade. At the end of the year, all they have to do, like g- generally the systems just automate a tax, a 1099 tax at the end of the year, right? T- tax report Bingo. at the end of the year. And just send that, t- send that to you and it's done, right? Pretty much. I mean, very rarely there's adjustments to that, but um, more or less, yes, yeah. you're done. 
So I think that, that's um, how I was like pre 2013. It was, I would speak to an accountant once a year at the end of the year and give them a few pieces of paper and it was pretty much done. And then as you, and it's still, if, if those were your only investments, what they were kind of simple automated reports, you could probably get away with a once a year type of conversation with an accountant for tax filing. But right. with these, all these other foreign things are just too, like we've, <laughs> we've kind of slowly started talking more and more because my investments have been going expanding more and more outside and especially in foreign countries. Um, so it's just, it's better just to stay on top in front of this stuff. Oh, exactly. So exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're still figuring things out as we go along. <laughs> well, that's part of this podcast, right? Cause there's so many new modern investments that right. are just not traditional and we're trying to explore as many of those and, and bring, bring them to light and let the listeners bring the opportunities to, to listeners. And one thing I want to do on, on every single episode is try to bring a new investment vehicle to the listeners so they're aware of it and, and kind of give them an access point to it. So one yeah. of the, uh, one of the ones I'm pretty excited about that I just started the last month is a company called Peer Street. Have you heard of that? You know, Peer Street, uh, is what that a peer-to-peer lending type thing? Yeah, so it's, it's peer-to-peer lending and it's backed by real estate. So what- I have heard of that. I don't remember where. Well, it's, it's, one, oh. of, it's, it's one of the big new ones. Um, I, well, like, first of all, why'd you get into this? You haven't even told me yet. Now we got to figure this out. No, this is easy stuff, all right, compared to everything like, else. This must all be in the US, though. What is it, like yeah, the it's, uh, it's, lending it's, club thing? Yeah, okay, so, so Johnny does lending club. I looked into lending club quite a bit. And I like Lending Club, but they're going through quite a bit of turmoil right now. Like they just booted their CEO and have some scandal stuff under them. And okay. one thing that, that uh, so the Johnny Strategies makes tons of micro loans, like $50, right? And he'll make right. H- hundreds of them. And I know a couple other people do the same. And they, there's always like a 10% default rate on these loans. Yeah. Well, that's not- what I was just going to say is I do have a few clients that do the lending club thing mm-hmm. and every year, you know, you get this tax statement because they are a U.S. company and they do all the reporting and there's a lot of defaults, which we end up writing off. But um, to be honest, I don't know how well they're doing from a, an investment perspective um, well, because the write-offs are fairly small. Yeah. So you don't, um, you don't know really- how much they're making on a return basis? I don't because, you know, I report the interest, I report the, okay. the losses. You don't see the principal. But, but yeah, exactly. So I, I haven't, uh, I mean, just because they haven't asked me because it's not a substantial sum of money to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but just when you think about it economically, you know, my understanding of it is, you know, they're giving out 15 to 20% loans. Yeah. Um, you know, when you think about it, these must be pretty... Uh, I mean, what are they financing with this? You know, the actual borrowing. Yeah, so that's what I don't um, like about it. There's like, there's, yeah, there's, there's a mis- and, and it's the, the loan is not backed by anything, right? Right. It, it sounds like it's just somebody that needs more consumer debt mm-hmm. and consumer debt ultimately, you know, it rides out for a long time, but um, I mean, a lot of times it doesn't get paid back. Right, exactly. I think a lot of these are people that are finan- using the lending to finance credit card debt. Right, exactly. Um, or because they've ran out of credit cards, um, they're still trying to keep their lifestyle, and, and yeah. that's their plan. So Johnny's making Johnny's made nine and a half percent in Lending Club last year. My other buddy Colin, he's making over ten percent. So even with the defaults, they're making quite a bit. I well, just that's, that, over what time frame though? Uh, it's like annually. 
Well, but what I mean is how long has he been in on it? Uh, two, I think both of them have been about two years now. Okay, that's not too bad of a time frame. What I was just going to say is um, it, it hasn't been out there long enough to say that, okay, they're going to get 9% for t- the next 10 years, even mm-hmm. with the defaults. Yeah. Um, you know, you get in the next credit crunch of some sort, um, and then they can't borrow, you know, th- these borrowers can't borrow more because they're constantly, what is it, stealing from Peter to pay Paul type thing? Yes, exactly. Um, I feel like that those borrowers are probably doing that, and, you know, whatever's coming due, they're just transferring balance and keep trying to get more credit. Once there's a credit crunch, um, you know, someone's left holding the bag. Exactly. So that's that was my thoughts with this whole thing is like if if the market's stable, they're probably okay. But if the if we go into a bad recession, who knows what like the defaults are gonna gonna go to because they're just not backed by anything. So right. it just doesn't make sense to me. So there's this there's this company called Peer Street, which is um I've looked at a couple other like financial bloggers and they seem to really like this one because it's it's the same concept, it's peer to peer but it's backed by real estate and the loans go towards real estate. So they're typically refinancing loans or um, value add loans. Like they're, they're renovating the house or adding right. an addition and it, it, the loan is secured by the house. So if there's ever a default on the loan, they can, right. they can look. So it's probably uh, second mortgage most likely, but even still it's better than uh, nothing at all. And, and at least these people have a reason to borrow. Right. And you know what I mean? And it's, it's not because they're going out to the bar or, or trying to, uh, you know, maintain a lifestyle that they can't. Says, says the guy drinking bourbon at 9 a.m. in the morning. Well, it's 9.30 now or something. <laughs> <laughs> Get sipping that, buddy. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm running low. I know you got like a foam coffee cup to pour it in. <laughs> like all, 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 well, the coffee all, cup all, is still all, full because it's only 9.30. I know all accounting offices have those cheap phone, white phone cups. <laughs> <laughs> are you saying all accountants are cheap? No. Um, they just have old offices. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so listen, I got to send you a screenshot of this. This Pier Street thing, is, uh, it's, it's really slick. So the, the founders of it, I want to say... It lend, does it lend commercial real oh, estate? Oh, listen. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's all residential. I, th- I believe the, found- the co-founder uh, was also the guy behind Google Analytics. Whatever Google Analytics was before it was Google Analytics and Google bought it. So it, I think this guy is the, f- the co-founder between Peer Street. But it's, it, the platform and the, UI, uh, the UX is really slick. So I'll just give you like an example of how it works. Like I, so I invested money in. You can either manually select how you want to loan the money. Like you can pick the properties you want to loan on or you can just set it to automatic. So I did a bunch of research and it seemed like just doing it at the highest risk level on automatic was the best way to do it. And the reason is this company has been around for like four years and they've never had a, they've never had a a loan default compared to like lending club where they're having, you know, 10% or more. They've never had a loan default. So I've, I put money in, I've, I put it on automated and I'm at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm at sixteen different loans, around like you know six to ten thousand dollars, and they're on average nine and a half percent. I wow. just I just got my first dividend today of of uh, sixteen dollars, which I'm thrilled about. Doesn't doesn't even pay for a bottle of water in Singapore. I was just gonna say maybe you could get a half a beer. <laughs> 
you know, just fill this baby up halfway. Well, that's, that's what I do when I go to the bar anyways. I'm like, hey, dude, can I get a half a beer? <laughs> that's what that's the way they do it in Singapore. Yeah, no, I'm checking this out. This is pretty cool. And it's funny, when I Googled it, there was another one that came up called uh, Realty Shares, and it's all commercial mm-hmm. real estate. So there's Realty Shares, there's Fundrise. There's a bunch of them I'm looking at. I just I wanted to toe into it. But everyone I know that's done peer-to-peer lendings, making pretty good returns. I mean, they're actually making exceptional returns. They're all yeah. making like 9%, 10%, and it's, it's very difficult to find, right? And yeah. I will say the few clients I've talked to, you know, even with their defaults that I report, they, you know, like I said, I don't know what they're earning on their return, but they're all saying, yeah, we're doing pretty well. Yeah. You know, so whatever that means, um, put it this way, they're not mad. Right. So, so they are fairly happy with the investment. Um, what about liquidity about that, though? You know, what if you tomorrow wanted to convert that to cash? I, I think that is a sticking point on this. So I know with Lending Club, you can only withdraw the, the interest paid. You can't get your principal out. And I want to say it's the same with Pier Street. Honestly, I should have looked at that and I didn't. I, yeah, because I mean, that's <laughs> just, well, to be honest, I mean, that could be a non-factor to some and, and a big factor to others. You know, it depends on what your investing strategy is. Yeah. You know, if, if you have a need for that cash in a year or a year or two, uh, or two it's, it's, it's different than somebody who says, well, it doesn't matter. I just want to, uh, you know, I just want something that has a good return and a five-year time frame is fine mm-hmm. um, or a 10-year, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, good point. It's just, it's, just, it's just good to know when you're getting in on an investment what your liquidity options are. Yeah. Um, I would assume because it's, it has a lot of different buyer-sellers into the market, um, it might take some time to resell your, you know, your quote portfolio. Honestly, I would, think, I, that, I would I, think that they would do it for you, though. Yeah, I'm gonna look into it after this. Honestly, I don't. I almost want to say I don't think you can get out of it in that short time. There, maybe there's a mm-hmm. way you can have like a fire sale on it, or they can transfer it. Right. But um, I set mine to the. I would low- just think it'd be a good way for them to earn fees. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't see why they wouldn't, because it's it's like, well, you know what, you want out, fine. You know, they'll charge their fee then and um, make some money. Yeah, we'll see if we can get one of these guys on the show to dive into it more. But I set all of mine. You can set the time limit of how long. So the, the loans typically go from one to three years. And you can set how long you're, you're comfortable loaning the money out for. So I set, I set mine to the highest risk and the lowest time frame, which was 12 months. So of the 16 loans I made, they're all they're all due in 12 months um, and they're all at the, the highest risk level. So if everything goes well, I should make 10%, you know, roughly 10% on everything. I mean, that's not bad. That's, that's not bad. I'd be a happy guy. I'd I know. I mean, guy. in a zero interest environment, I mean, you yeah. can't beat that. That's right. So I'll leave, I'll, uh, I'll send you a screenshot afterwards and I'll, I'll leave for the listeners. I'll leave a screenshot in the show notes and it's peer street peer and yeah we should take a look at the other ones there's like three other realtor realty backed ones that i've been looking at and um right. they're all pretty compelling but like you said they're all so new it's like you know well, the bot the bottom's gonna drop out of one of these and you just don't want to be stuck with that one well do you see what the other uh leverage is on each property like the loan to value ratios yeah you can see that um just because, you know, I, I mean, obviously you're probably going to be like the last uh, uh, mortgage or I don't know if that's the correct term, but, um, 
you know, you'd probably be the last person to be paid back. The primary mortgage will, of course, get their money first in a, uh, you know, in a foreclosure sale. And mm-hmm. then, so the question is, when would you get yours back? So if, if it's lended at 100% of value, after fees, you're probably getting nothing. If it's lended at maybe 80% of value, you're probably sitting just fine. Yeah, I can answer that. The, 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 mo- the riskiest they do through this platform is 75%. Oh, that's phenomenal. So that that's the highest risk. So that's pretty much all of mine are at seventy five percent loan to value. Yeah. And then you can do you can do as conservatively as like twenty percent or something. But the yeah. the interest rates are much lower on those, right? So we'll oh, yeah. we'll gamble a bit yeah. and see what that, that's pretty good though. Um seventy five percent because I mean there's a lot of fraud and whatnot in those percentages, but uh I, I mean I could tell you firsthand when getting uh you know, refinancing my own mortgage for somehow magical way, they they gave me the exact um, uh, appraisal that I needed, <laughs> which I would be more than happy to sell my home for, but I could guarantee you I can't. Well, dude, why don't you just list it on Pier Street and I'll finance you? <laughs> <laughs> right? You can pay me ten percent. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing is I was going for a loan at three point five, so uh, that's not exactly an attractive investment for many private investors. That that's, brings up another point is if you can get money from a bank at 4% and you can go through these platforms at, let's say, 9 or 10%, why, like, who are these people that are on these platforms? They're obviously people that couldn't get bank money, right? Well, you know, it makes me think, too, a lot of it might be bridge loan type things. So, um, you know, for instance, let's say somebody's trying to make an acquisition of some sort in, in a property. Um, and the bank says, well, we'll only lend out uh, 75% of value. Um, the other person comes to the table with only a 15% down payment. So there's a little gap there. You know, mm-hmm. the property might yield that gap and it might be a smart investment for them, but they just might not have the cash on hand. So you can't um, get bank financing for that? Or you could, but it'd just be like a lot of paperwork and no, time? No, a lot of times, I mean, banks are so strict that they just won't. It's like, look, it's 75-25 and that's it. That's, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's, there could be a gap sometimes that's filled by seller financing. Sometimes that's, you know, filled by, um, you know, f- friends and family. But this is kind of filling that friends and family void uh, right. for people without them. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, or it's just ease of closing. You know what I mean? Maybe it's temporary. You know, like you said, these people might be doing renovations in their home or something. And it's like, you know what? I just don't feel like going through the paperwork. Or may- maybe they have bad credit. Mm-hmm. It's so like maybe, we, we can, we can maybe, borrow like nine grand and then okay, not 10% on nine grand is 900. It's not that big of a dent. Right. Or, or for instance, maybe they're borrowing and saying, you know what? I don't feel like doing the paperwork for the traditional because it's a pain in the ass. We'll do this now and then we'll refi it out later and pay this off. I wonder also if if you get the bank financing for something like this, if you would have to if they would make you sign on it personally and this maybe you don't have to sign on it personally or you definitely don't have to sign on it personally, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you in any business loan that that I've seen in the past 10 years, everything is signed on personally. Everything. <sighs> Would you business, ever, would you sign on anything estate. personally? Yeah, why not? If it's a uh, if it's a sound investment that you're you know you're confident in, what's what's uh, what's your downside? Everything you own personally. 
not I mean not everything, only the mortgage amount. Okay. Right? I, th- I thought when you sign on something personally, they can come after you for like everything, your car, your No, no, no. I I mean sure, they could come after your car if if you don't have any money to back it up. Mm. But uh you know, again, say you're taking a $300,000 mortgage um and you know, you know the property's worth 400 and they want you to personally sign on it, where's your risk? I mean, your risk is that, obviously, if the market goes down, and the risk is if you can't make your payments. Mm-hmm. So if you can't make your payments of, you know, whatever that mortgage is, what's that come out to? Probably like $2,500 a month. Mm-hmm. Then I think you got bigger problems than them coming after the deficiency. Because mm-hmm. remember, first they're going to sell the property. So, again, if they even worse comes to worse, sell the property for $250, they are still only coming at you for 50 Gotcha. So... Yeah, I mean, it depends on the deal. Would you sign personally? You know, if your if your business is making a five million dollar loan, where it's highly uh, speculative and, and you're not investing in any hard assets with resale, no, mm. right? I never sign on that. Okay. Um, I would say, you know, but again, <laughs> what bank in the right mind would lend on it? Yeah, I've just never taken any debt, so I've never. I've just always viewed signing on anything personally as inherently everything I do is quite risky. I mean, some of the right. stuff's not now, but previously or historically, everything I've done is really risky. So signing on things personally would just be like, okay, well, just <laughs> not going to leave myself anything if this risk, if this uh, bet doesn't go well, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, looking at your case, let's look at uh, like SC storage, mm-hmm. right? But if you were to be signed on that loan, which I don't even think you are, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's only leveraged like 50%. So in the end, the question is, would you be able to sell that property at the value of the loan? Yeah. Because yeah. then you'd still be out scot-free, even if you're personally yeah. signed on. I think that's a pretty low-risk thing, though, compared it, that's to what like I mean. startup investing or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, mean I have seen people take... Uh, separate mortgages for sort of for investments um mm-hmm. like that which is very very risky um but you never know yeah i've also seen big returns for that as well so what else uh have you got have you seen recently i mean you you're you're talking to so many people that are doing business you're seeing tons of tax returns every year that have gains and losses Right. What uh, well, what else have you seen in, in in the investment world that looks cool? So, of course, you see both ways. You see uh, you see gains. You see losses. Um, I want to hear about both. <laughs> well, I mean, given the time frame of my career, I guess starting roughly nine ten years ago, what I've more seen than anything are losses. Yeah. Uh, you know, given the meltdown that has happened from you know the oh seven to twenty. You know, what's a yeah. 2009 period, 2010 period. And, and, well, um, you know, and just, you know, Mara, just like the word investing, people are like, oh, you make money, right? Just the word investment means like you're, you're growing your money. But right. I, I mean, we talk about this all the time. It's, it's really, really difficult to grow your money, even at a, at a low percent. It's, everyone says the S&P 500, oh, you put your money in S&P, you get 8% returns, you know, historically for life. But it's, it's. It's it's not like that, right? It's never that easy. Oh no, not at all, not at all. I mean, I've seen some major, major uh, sad stories. I mean, I guess let's start with some of the bad. I mean, um, I mean, we had one client who literally had almost all of his family's wealth in one stock. 
which just so happened to be a um, Enron. No, no, it wasn't that one. It was like a mortgage originator. No, it doesn't um, sound much better. No, and literally overnight, uh, five million dollars of wealth went to next to zero. Oof. You know, maybe, maybe a couple hundred thousand. Um, and this was a uh, you know people living off investments for the past twenty years. No, no real jobs. Well, I mean they were artists type mm-hmm. thing. Um, so now you know they've come to reality and need to get jobs. Right. Um, so it's a major lifestyle change. Um, you know, uh, other people we've seen heavily invested in things like Bank of America, um, just because you know it's done so well over the years. They used to pull out hundreds of thousands of dividends mm-hmm. annually, and then of course, again, same thing. Um, you know, when eighty percent of your uh, of your wealth is in that one specific security, mm-hmm. and even when you hold it, it still hasn't come back. Have you seen m- many people make money in real estate just by acquiring a property and selling it? Well, see, that was the next story I was actually going to have was um, we have plenty of people who bought both commercial and residential real estate. Again, you buy at the wrong time. They bought it as an investment. Now, the investment wasn't for cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, the investment was for pure uh, you know, capital appreciation. Right. And they've gotten hammered. I mean, I've seen I've seen losses in the millions <sighs> on that, these types of things. That's what uh, I've seen, Kevin Shee and I were losses. talking about on the last last episode. Is it's 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 very difficult to make money in property. I mean, of course, it's all when you invest, right? But well, there's two different things I see in real estate. Um, so so you know, just to kind of keep going on that is like I said, I see millions of dollars being lost there over the past. 10 years when really the only idea was, you know, capital appreciation or it was, um, you know, something that was built in a, in a location that was just, you know, they built it because it's speculation Mm -hmm. type thing. Um, on the, on the flip side, even throughout the financial crisis, you know, we have another client who owns an apartment complex and while the market value may have gone down, he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. It's fully managed. He's completely hands off, and he collects, you know, maybe a hundred thousand dollars net a year from it. Yeah. So he doesn't care about the. the so he doesn't the care. Cap. You know, yeah. maybe he he may have lost, you know, a couple million dollars on paper during that time frame, which of course it has pretty much come back for mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, I'm sure the market value is not back to what it was, but he has no intention on selling it. Yeah. Because he's not in it for the capital appreciation. So it's fully rented. He's he has managers in place. Mm-hmm. You know, to be honest, I don't even think he's been there in twenty years. I think the lesson that I continue to get out of speaking to people who have invested in property is to make sure that there's secured earnings. Because Bingo. if you, if you get the earnings, you take all the emotion out and you take the potential downside risk out of having to sell in a bad market, right? Exactly. So. That's a you know, last episode was Kevin Shi and we we were talking about his business in Hong Kong, and yep. they're generating so much cash that they're not even concerned about the ca- the capitalization of the of the actual units, exactly. right? And and that is that is the hands down best way, in my opinion at least. Again, I'm not a financial advisor or representative of any sort, but um, you know it's even like when you're picking your stocks, 
um, you know, are they giving out any dividends? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it should be something to consider. Because, uh, again, we even, um, same scenario, you know, we have a woman, you know, she's very, she, she only has maybe, I don't know, 700000 invested, and she has all preferred type securities that, you know, give off dividends, and the crisis is going on, but they still paid her the exact same exactly. dividends, which she, li- which she lives on, and, you know, everybody's panicking selling, she's still collecting her dividends, and that market fluctuation did nothing to her. Right, and because she's getting that fixed income too, she's probably got the, the confidence to even potentially buy more right. of that stock when the, or the securities when the market goes bad. Right. So we were talking um, about we were talking about these these ma- like the maple tree REITs that I own out of Singapore, right? And we talked about these a lot on the last episode. That they're right now they're paying seven percent, and that's based at the current market price. So if the market, let's say the price of that REIT dropped fifty percent, I would still be making seven percent return on the money that I invested, right? But if you got in at the bottom, if you got in, say the price dropped fifty percent, and you bought then you'd be making like 14% on your money. And so it doesn't, as long as you have a longer term strategy and as long as, of course, that the company doesn't go out of, you know, doesn't file for bankruptcy, it's going to pay that. It has, it has to, by law, pay out 90% of its, of its rev or of its uh, revenues or profits. Either one, it's a lot of money. Right. Um, So it's always going to pay out a yield. So as long as you can get through the down, as long as you have that cash flow and you don't need to, you're not forced to sell it at at a bad point. So, right. I love this. So, so yeah, I mean, if you go way back to the, you know, the old days of investing, um, what people used to invest in stocks for was the dividends. But, you know, that's just no longer the case. Um, you know, way back, if you told people that it was going to be a zero dividend stock, nobody would invest in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I mean, times have changed where, you know, people believe it's, it's that was, that was pre more, that, more that was, was pre Apple, I guess. Yeah, Before, exactly. I mean, these are like the really old days. I'm talking like the the history of uh, of investing type things. Well, probably but, like what? But like, I mean, I would say that philosophy is probably true in in the maybe the 70s and before. Yeah, Cer- certainly not our generation. No, our generation. It's it's crazy to not be reinvesting your profits instead of giving it to your investors mm-hmm. because they think that the reinvestment can um, you know potentially increase the value more than the dividend yeah um but but i mean at some point you're gonna you know those companies are gonna make a bad bet and lose money yeah absolutely well we will see we will see it seems like you know everyone's always talking about if if you if everyone's talking about doing something like everyone's talking about investing in the market or whatever you should be scared and it's like right now everyone's talking about putting all of your money into the s&p 500 right you know everyone's talking about it everyone's doing it through like vanguard or something i just don't and it's because of like this historical eight percent like gains right and yeah i mean it's hard to dispute that though it is hard you know i I mean even warren buffett um i think i sent you that article you know warren buffett made a a sizable wager against the top 10 hedge fund managers of yeah wherever and um you know is will the s&p beat you know, the earnings of these top 10 hedge fund managers. And as of right now, supposedly, you know, Warren Buffett is crushing them on that bet. So it's hard to say um, where to put your money when 
something like that is happening and some somebody like um warren buffett even yeah would make that wager yeah we'll see i i just feel like all the growth in markets in the future are going to be tech if you look at all the big companies emerging they're all tech even if it's tesla like Tesla's a technology company, right? Maybe an energy, oh, yeah. but m- more a technology company. More bullish on like on the uh, Nasdaq than I am the S and P five hundred. But the good thing with the S and P five hundred is it's a it's a big international play, right? Right. I think seventy percent of the revenues of the of the S and P five hundred are international, even though they're 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 U S based, right? Well, the underlying securities, yes. Mm-hmm. But you also have to remember there's also, you know, it's a market. So you have buyers and sellers. Um, so the next question is, in the next 10 to 20 years, are there going to be more buyers or more sellers? Um, given the, the trend of the United States, uh, my opinion is there are going to be more sellers. Right. Just because more people are going to be retiring and moving out of risk. Um, and generally, stocks are seen as more risky than many other investments. Um, as the greater population is retiring, the smaller amount of population, you know, your and I generation and, and the generation after us will be quote investing. And, um, it's just the numbers don't make, don't work because there's more retiring than coming in. So you think that the U S market will be sluggish then for a while? I, I mean, it flat to sluggish is, a, is a, my unqualified opinion just based on that. Because remember, <laughs> no matter no matter how good a company is doing, the market still sets the price. Yeah, that's and if I'm, the market if the market has more sellers than buyers, prices decrease. If the market has more buyers than sellers, prices increase. And not to mention our whole generation and the generation before us, their hesitation in the stock market in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about how many you know guys you talk to in, in the in the space and on our age, they're not exactly like I'm ready to get into the stock market. Well, the, and this is the thing, right? There's a great book by Harry Dent called Demographic Cliff. Did you read that? Right, I did a long time ago, Man, though. Um, dude, very change, long time. That'll ago. change anyone's opinion about investing in the stock market because one of the the, the one of his um, kind of the backbone of his book was. If you asked, if you asked anyone in the U.S. right now, will, will like, would the will the U.S. markets be up in twenty years? And everyone would say, yeah, okay, you can. Maybe it'll be down in five years. We'll go through another recession here and there, but in twenty years, yeah, definitely. But if you look at J- Japan's market in the nineteen eighties, I mean, they were everyone thought Japan was going to take over the world, right? They're starting right. to teach Japanese in all the schools. And if you would ask them, then what would the you know what would be the their indexes in the in 20 years everyone would be like well we're taking over the world but then what happened they went flat right they hit this massive demographic cliff exactly and they went which flat. is which is exactly where the united exactly states is heading where we're at and so and, and in japan if you put money in 20 years ago that market is completely flat which means completely you lost flat. you lost a shitload by the time you 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 paid your tax on earned income portion and right. inflation right and inflation exactly so i i just i don't have that much faith in in, in domestic U.S. stocks. We'll see. I mean, a lot of the great companies are still, uh, the new tech companies are still coming out of there. Silicon Valley's got a competitive edge over the rest of the world in terms of tech and software. But I'm just, I'm definitely not putting all my eggs in that basket, right? No, for sure. So the, 
what else so what else have you seen i know you've seen some other cool stuff like yeah um i mean of course we see tons of the traditional stuff um you know people with money advisors um that some do very well um but again it's you know it's typically high fee um and it's very hard to find one that actually has your best interests in mind i mean i could get into that whole industry if you want but uh that's that's boring yeah (laughs) <laughs> I, I could give I could give you my my two second summary is is it's very hard to find anybody that's good because their interests are not aligned with yours. Yeah, because think, no matter what they they get a commission on some sort of product for selling it to you. So if it's good for you, great. Um, but if it's bad for you, they're still incentivized to sell it to you. So I think the truth. I think the truth of that whole industry is coming out quickly, and yeah, that's why these products like Robo Advisories, like Betterment and Wealth uh, right. Wealthfront are starting to take off directing uh, investing directly through Vanguard is yep. is kind of everybody's uh yeah portfolio but it's not to say then. that there aren't decent ones out there and yeah. there are you know there's just some good people out there but they're hard to come by yeah um, cuz i mean in the end they got to make a living too yeah um but uh i mean where we really see outsized returns are um you know eh, private type investments small company type things sale of your own business um you know to be honest we find people doing things that they love and making great money yeah you know what i mean it's like well i i found this this piece of real estate in napa i then built a brand off of it and uh started you know built a winery the whole bit and that sounds like the dream right there and, and not only that you're 10xing your investment yeah um didn't you speak with the empire flipper guys recently well, that's another one. So, yeah, the Empire Flippers, and again, because of my my uh, role, I had to get their permission to, to talk about this, um, and I did. So, you know, I'm not disclosing anything that they wouldn't care about. Mm-hmm. Um, one very interesting thing, and it's not even just them doing this, is um, is they're setting up almost miniature private equity funds in the Internet space. Mm-hmm. So, for instance... They've got AdWords sites or other content sites that are selling, I don't know, getting commissions based on, uh, you know, the content that they have and sending the sale of a certain product over to whoever's actually selling it. Mm-hmm. And they're doing very well. Um, and the thing I like about it is it's a cash flow game. So, so for instance, these, you know, they're raising a fund of, say, a million dollars. Say they get 10 investors at 100000 apiece. And then they're earning maybe 30, 40% annual yield on that of pure cash, which that's, they're paying back to all their investors. That's ridiculous. And it's, so, that is such a good idea that it, it seems like it, an obvious idea, but it, it well, takes a really qualified group to put it together. Right. So it's semi, it's, uh, you know, semi-passive, but it, all of the, and it's semi-diversified. So, you know, they'll go and they'll buy 10 different websites that are all earning income. So, so then it, if it's, one, it's sort so of like one shit's just bad. To, yeah, to make it simple for listeners, right? They're, it's almost like a, a, prop, like a property trust fund, except Bingo. they're doing it on the internet. So they're buying internet websites that have cash flow. And then they're taking over the management of those sites. And they're... they're they're raising investments. So they're basically buying these sites with investors' money, 
creating a fund out of it and then managing a portfolio of internet websites, right? Bingo. That's, That's exactly it. And then instead of even reinvesting the money and buying more, they're just paying out the cash. So then people are getting their money back. And then at the end of everything, they'll resell the sites, you know, probably at gains, of course, depending on the market conditions and how well mm. the sites are doing. Um, and that's it. I mean, it, it's, it's basically a real, it's a, I like to call it an online real estate play. Yeah, honestly, but, it's, it's but the, the sh- one big difference, the one big difference I find is they can't use any leverage Why? You know, they, because they just can't get any bank lending for it. It's too, it's too like ambiguous to banks. Right. So, you know, the bank, if this was a, the same exact thing on commercial real estate or residential real estate, they, they'd lend to it all day long. Mm-hmm. But the banks are just so far behind. Um, and, you know, I mean, you can't fault them either because, you know, you never know if your Amazon account gets suspended. You, you go to zero. Yeah, I think it's a very, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to put together. And you, you have to have but, a super qualified group that have a blend of internet expertise and also financial management, right? Right. I guess why the, the banks would never understand it. And exactly. And I, like you said, who could blame them, right? It's a very difficult thing to put together, but I'm, I'm very interested in hearing more. So we got to get those guys on the show. Yeah, no, I mean, they're good people, you know, honest people, which is, which was amazing. People really just kind of said, yeah, we, we trust you guys pretty much based off of your, your podcast and they um and the, i mean they're doing well too so it's hard to dispute it do you know what the um, po- their podcast name is it's just the empire flippers podcast i think so i think so okay and um uh, do you know people that have invested in that or just you just manage uh, the see, accounts for well the guys? yeah so uh, you know i assisted getting the fund set up um on the tax side i have talked to a few of the investors because they had tax questions about it mm-hmm. um but, you know, I, other than that, I don't really know any of them personally. Um, but I will also tell you, I mean, they're not even the only people doing this. Um, I've had others kind of approach me on the same thing. Hey, we're trying to set up a fund. You know, that we're going to have income producing sites. And we think we're going to cash flow about, you know, $40,000 a month. Um, how, do, how do we want to set this up? We want to mm-hmm. defer some taxes. So they want to do the tax planning about it. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting. So do you know how much the empire flipper guys are making and or returning on investment? I honestly don't know the exact numbers. Um, give me a ballpark. I don't remember. I mean, I know they obviously see, so they charge a management fee, you know, rightfully so they're, they're managing the, the whole investment. Um, you know, they've got the team to manage all the sites. Um, but their, their management isn't, see, and this is another thing I actually like about it. Their management is not based on the asset value. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just like if you're, you know, any of your managed fund accounts, um, you know, they're charging you 1% on the value of, of all your assets, right? Mm-hmm. So they're only charging a fee on the income earned. That's great. So, so if they earn no income, they don't get paid. That's fantastic. So this is an investment where, the managers are actual—they're actually in line with you. Yeah, you're a partner of them instead of uh, an investment, yes. like a, uh, someone who manages your account at a big financial institution, and they'll take one and a half percent, whether you lose twenty yeah. percent or <laughs> make ten. Yeah, no, it's it's silly, you know. So it, it's um, 
again, it's basic economics. It, somebody's going to care much more if they're not going to be able to pay their staff mm -hmm. in this business model yeah. versus, well, I'm getting my 1% anyway, you know, whatever. It went down $100,000. You know, to me, that's only 1% of that. whoop de frickin' do. Yeah. So these are, these are exactly the type of investment opportunities we want to uncover on this because this is something that five years ago, really, it was impossible for this to happen, right? Yeah, and this true. is a totally new age investment where returns can, I don't know what the returns are. I mean, and definitely it's going <laughs> to, my, my understanding not gonna be is, consistent, it's about, right? is it's about 30%. I, that's, I mean, that's don't, absurd, don't, hold me, right? don't hold me to that. Yeah, I won't. Listen, if you give me half of that, I'll be really happy. Yeah. But this is exactly the, this is the type of thing that we, we need to find more of, right? These, yeah. There's not a lot of noise being made about these things. There are a, a competent yeah. group of people that have started something that's really unique and it's and doing I, really again, well, Again, right? the, the thing I love about it is that they're taking the cash off the table and giving it back. Mm -hmm. Because remember, if you're reinvesting, 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 and let's say for a while the asset value is increasing exponentially, but then all of a sudden it goes to zero for one reason or another, those paper gains mean nothing. Yeah. So in the end, there's, there's a break-even point, and then the rest of it's gravy. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Cash is king again. Cash is always king. It is always king. I mean, maybe that's kind of like the business mind in me, but um, I mean, many of my clients sit on the sidelines holding a lot of cash, waiting for that right investment. Oh. And more, more often than not, that investment is in some way, shape, or form related to a business that they're in or, uh, you know, kind of an offshoot of their business. Mm -hmm. Well, you know? you're, you're holding cash right now too, right? You got something coming up. Exactly. What's, exactly. Is it uh, so, it's property or? Yeah. So, so the, the Mario investment world is actually 100% in cash at the moment. <laughs> then we can, actually, we, we, can keep, we can keep that talking point under a minute then. Yeah, no, I shouldn't say that. I have one Roth account that's managed by a buddy of mine um, and that's it. But I, I will be liquidating that to make this investment that I'm trying to make. <laughs> you, have so to more, you have to pay a big penalty on that, right? No, not a Roth. Not okay. a Roth. I will, I will be paying a penalty on my other 401k money that I intend to liquidate as well. <laughs> <laughs> Mario is not a financial advisor. Just want <laughs> yeah. to remind the audience of that. <laughs> so, I mean, in, in my world... Um, you know, I was recently given the opportunity to, to purchase the building that one of my offices are in. Mm -hmm. And now the building also includes a personal residence in the upstairs. Now, again, this is a satellite office for me. I'm not a huge fan of living over my main office. Mm -hmm. So th this is a place where it's, it's just a one-room meeting space for, for my firm. And then the rest is rented by, uh, you know, many other people. And, you know, ultimately when you run the numbers, the cash flow will pay the entire mortgage taxes insurance and also a little bit more and it allows me to live for practically free so you are going nice, to live you're going to live over your office over let's say over one of my offices that is a satellite office and only a meeting space so it's not like all my staff are going to be downstairs my staff yeah. go to other offices no staff come to this office mm -hmm. okay but in the end the way i see it is i've got a down payment that i've got to make I'm going to be living in a, you know, a beautiful downtown location. I'm going to be earning rental income, which after the loan is paid off, is going to be a great retirement play. And 
you know, it's a home run in my mind. Yeah. I think those types uh, of investments make sense when they come to you on how, how this one came to you, where it's, it's something you know you, uniquely about, right? Yeah, well, exactly. You know, makes- I, I know uniquely about it. I know that, um, you know, the owners were, they were looking to sell maybe a year back at a price much, much higher than what them and I have, have uh, you know, handshake agreed upon. And, um, you know, they, they pretty much just, uh, they're very, very friendly with my wife and I and our little daughter. And they're like, hey, for you guys with no realtor fees, we'll give you, we'll do this. And, um, you know, we'd rather see somebody enjoy it that, uh, yeah. that we know and like. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, the location for me is key. I, I mean, literally, it's a walk across the street to, uh, to the train station. Mm-hmm. You know, we're right on the green in a downtown location, which, um, you know, it, it can always very, very easily be rented. It's just uh, a little bit of legwork on the rent side, but, uh, you know, I don't mind doing it. Yeah, I, I think if to have like one or one, a couple properties, it's, it's okay. And then as soon as, especially if you're going to invest in foreign properties like me, that the overhead and the maintenance becomes such an absolute burden when you have oh, to, yeah. you know, it's that I don't think I'll ever do it again, unless it's something that I just absolutely love and want to live in. But for the me, way, for me now, I all I want to do is, all I want to do is REITs, right? Like if you can make 7% on a, on a, on a REIT, and it, it's zero maintenance and that money's just getting, you're getting an email every three months like, hey, we're sending you money. It's like a paycheck coming in. You have zero overhead compared, I think my properties in Thailand, I'm making somewhere around five or 6%, but I have mm-hmm. to actually manage them each month. Even if I'm not there, I have to deal with somebody about collecting the rent, paying the HOA, paying well, the electricity. Yeah, see your, your problem there is you, uh, you don't have enough yet to have a full-time manager. Mm-hmm. And once you have enough to have a full-time manager, you know, that's the best way to do it. You know, it, economically, it doesn't make sense to have a full-time manager yet. Are you saying I'm, um, not, ag- are, I'm not aggressive enough? <laughs> no, I'm not <laughs> saying that. I'm just saying that, you know, I go back to the other guy I talked about who has the, uh, the apartment complex who hasn't even looked at it other than saying, where's my money? Mm-hmm. Because that's all he has to do. He's got a full-time manager. Yeah. That's what Johnny wants to do. He wants to buy an apartment complex of... 15 units, get a manager. So, yeah, I, am, yeah. I am extremely bullish on residential rental property. Mm-hmm. Extremely bullish um, for a few reasons. You know, one being, again, generationally, pretty much our generation and back, A, they don't want to own anything because they're, you know, they want to have the freedom to take the job that's far away from where they just bought. Um, second reason is half of them can't. Because mm-hmm. of things like student debt, credit card debt, everyone's um, in debt. Yeah, debt that has debt. Do you know the net um, the net net savings of Americans is negative. Oh yeah, and it's even worse amongst the young generation because again they just, I mean they were, they were dealt a pretty tough card when they're yeah. paying but two hundred thousand dollars for uh, a four year education. I just can't like I just think about that actual statistic that the average American is in debt. And you know, there's Americans that have billions and billions and billions of dollars in the bank. The average right. American is in actually in debt is just, it's a very scary statistic. I don't yeah. know what the actual worldwide implications are of that, but it's not a good trend. Yeah. Not, not so, when America's in big debt too. 
So since that, they cannot come up with a down payment, and they're not credit worthy because they're probably missing payments on their, you know, three thousand dollar a month student loans. Mm-hmm. So that forces them to rent. So a, the people who there's a lot that don't want to buy, and then b, there's people that uh, can't buy, which leads me to believe that that the rental market is very very good. And just looking at the price of rents, at least in my location. Um, I mean, if you were to get a two-family around here for say two hundred thousand, um, which in the Northeast is is fairly cheap, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you could be renting each side for at least two thousand a month, and it just seems like, I mean, right off the rip. And again, the other beautiful thing is because it's real estate, the banks will loan to you, mm-hmm. and they'll loan to you at four percent. Yeah. So you know, after your tax deductions, what are you paying then? Two and a half percent to use their money. It just seems like a no-brainer. So that is that what's ahead for for you? Well, that's uh, yeah, that's kind of Plan B. Again, if this one falls through, I'll end up just buying another home and then finding another multifamily to uh, to rent okay. of some sort. Or again, that's in the long-term cards for me. I would love to get like a nice three-four unit. Um, I think you and I've been talking about that for a while. Yeah. Um, currently, I've got a little. You know, I've got to get out of my own home now. So, you know, I don't want to uh, buy something first and then either way, that's, that's the strategy for me at least. I'm a huge fan of anything that generates cash flow and yeah. I find that, that real estate, um, it does. And, you know, I'm fortunate where in my area I have a lot of contacts in the property maintenance space, um, you know, between clients, friends, family yeah. that, you know, if, if the light bulb goes... I'm not worried about somebody dousing me in, in uh, maintenance fees mm-hmm. because I know they're going to be honest with me and say, yeah, that was just whatever, a couple hundred dollars. So speaking of things that don't generate cash, I uh, just want to go to kind of summarize this episode, just go over a few of the new investments I've made over the last month, I guess, since we've talked and kind of just highlight like what they what those new investments are and just make sure that you and I are on the same page with the accounting and structuring of these things. Mm-hmm. So there's Glintz, which is a Singapore-based startup. Um, right. They, so I invested in them at a seed round, which you know, and they have just secured a Series A, which I'm very proud mm-hmm. of them for and also very excited about. So I've in, reinvested in their Series A at ProRata, which I guess for anyone out there that is not familiar with that, means I'm entitled to in the seed round and investing as part of the terms of that investment round, I'm allowed to invest in the next round per my share. So let's say I own 2% of the company in the seed round. I can then invest in the series a to make sure that I maintain 2%. So whatever that it comes out to be financially, I can invest up to that amount to keep 2%. And then what they also offer to their seed investors is the ability to, to um, invest more. So, I liked what they're doing. I liked what the company was doing. I liked the progress, the founders. So I decided to invest more in this round. So I'm actually increasing my stake in the company. Um, so for Mario, that means I... Yeah, for, for me, it's, yeah. it's pretty simple. You know, right now we're basically just tracking uh, cost basis. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because it's a Singapore company, it, it adds a, a bit of disclosure mm-hmm. on, uh, on your tax return. But uh, there's no taxable events there. It's um, you know just important to track your costs because eventually, when you sell this thing, 
It's going to be um, you know proceeds that you get in cash. Mm-hmm. Less costs is going to be your gain. You know, fortunately, we'll have a nice little capital gain there. Hopefully, mm-hmm. um, or if it goes to zero, we'll have a nice little capital loss, and maybe we could offset other gains. Okay, and then that's also because it's denominated in Singapore dollars, right? So we have to track the currency exchange. So whatever I paid the money in U.S. dollars, that's converted to Singapore dollars, and right. we need to track what the exchange rate was on that day, right? Exactly. Okay, cool. So exactly. you, you so, have all that so information? Yeah. or Yeah, I've got it all. It's all in there. Are you um, sure? Or is that the bourbon talking? Well, you know, it's all in there for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> No, we convert it always immediately to dollars, so we know what your true dollar-to-dollar gain or loss is. Good stuff. All Um, right. So that's a pretty easy thing. We just use spot rates right on, uh, you know, if you don't actually give the dollar amounts, I use the dates in, uh, what's it, awanda.com, I think is like the, one of the best converters out there. All right. The next investment is Black Ops. So we had Dan Norris on earlier, episode six. Um, I invested more money into that company l- just a few weeks ago, actually. So I increased my stake in that company. Um, they should be brewing beer next week. I'm really excited about it. So similar to Glintz, it's a foreign company, private investment foreign company. It is Australian dollar denominated. So same thing with Glintz, right? Just track how exactly. much money same, it converted. Same exact thing, you know, because the, the two of these companies... A, they're not uh, investment companies. You know, they're actually operating companies, so that's not a passive foreign investment company. And then B, it's not primarily owned by Americans. So mm-hmm. any foreign investment of primarily owned by Americans is considered a controlled foreign corporation, and you have other reporting requirements. So for you, it's really just a, a statement at the end of the year on the, uh, I think it's an 8938, saying I have this investment, and this is what I estimate the value to be, no tax to report. Um, you know, again, track basis and calculate gain later on. Nice. Okay. Third one is SmartMat. So SmartMat is a company I co-founded. It's a, yo- uh, it's an interactive yoga mat. So it's hardware and software connected, kind of the internet of things. Um, we did an Indiegogo campaign and raised a significant amount of, of uh, crowdfunding money. That product We've just prototyped. It needs more money to get the final prototype and go into manufacturing. So the way we structured it, I think you know, Mario, but the way we structured it is a convertible note, right? Uh, you don't know. Okay. So anyways. I don't know how we ended up final. We, we, we went back and forth All on right. some ideas. So the, I don't know what the final inked papers have said. Yeah, I had Matt Wiley do the, the note um, structuring. So basically, it is, it's a convertible note which gives me 3% warrants in the company. So I'm lending the company $150,000 at a mm-hmm. 7%, we call it coupon rate, which is interest rate. So mm-hmm. after 12 months, the company owes me back $150,000 plus 7% interest. Mm-hmm. Plus I get 3% warrants, which means I get 3% equity in the, the company. War- so warrants are at market value strike price? Actually, I take that back. The, the company just granted me an extra 3% uh, equity. equity, right? And then, okay. and then the loan is convertible at 7% more equity, but it's unanimous conversion. So basically, the, they're, they have to pay me back 7%. Mm-hmm. 
or company, or they'll give you seven percent additional equity. Or we we if we all unanimously unanimously agree, then I'll get seven percent more equity. So that uh, would just be kind of like a uh, just additional investment at a valuation, right? So that's so, so, so that's, there's one tricky aspect to that yeah. is is you're getting three percent equity, you know, kind of as interest, sort of, kind right? of, sort of. Yeah, I'll, yeah, right. I'll, so I'll, sort of. So I'll, send you, I'll, send, I'll, send, I'll send you the details. <laughs> <laughs> so that one's easy, right? Um, yeah, yeah, simple. So simple. But at least, well, it's, only, at least it's yeah. a domestic company, so it's not it's not crazy. Yeah, we'll have a little conversation on that one. There, there may be a, a very, very minor tax event there. I like minor. All right, what else? This is a big month. So we so SE Storage uh, just had Kevin on the show last week. So he and I agreed to do another unit, almost the exact same size as our current unit, another 160 units in Hong Kong. Nice. Really excited about it. Um, all the paperwork should be done this week. And yeah, so I guess that it's actually, a, uh, there's a lot of details to this, I suppose, but it's, it kind of just... Uh, want, emu- want, me emu- to ex- want me to explain this one? Yeah, sure. So, so the, the structuring, I guess, is it is a Hong Kong limited company mm-hmm. which is then owned partially by kevin and your hong kong limited company mm-hmm. and then your hong kong limited company of course is owned directly by you mm. um so what we've done to make things easy and to not deal with any uh subpart f inclusions without getting into what that is it's not good um we have basically done what's called a check the box election on both your entity and the sc storage entity where it's essentially just going to be taxed as a regular old, you know, U.S. partnership for the most part for Sam. Now for Kevin, everything is still taxed exactly the same way to him in in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the benefit of that is that because it's an on the ground Hong Kong company, it will be subject to Hong Kong tax. Um, so all those taxes will now be creditable taxes to Sam, and he'll get credit for all the tax that that entity has to pay to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'll also get all the depreciation deductions directly to him. And, um, you know, in the end, he's probably going to be getting a lot of cash flow, Sam, that is, and not paying very much tax, you know, until the depreciation runs out, which would probably take about 40 years. Because the depreciation offsets my income. Exactly. And plus, like, the maintenance and travel expenses to go maintain the right. business. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah, you end up going out there a lot to, um, you know, check on your investments and, um, you know, assist Kevin with whatever it is, you know, helping him out with the, you know, the marketing, things like that. So all that stuff's deductible expenses as long as you have a business purpose to be out there. Right. So that should be fun. Looking forward to getting that finished up. Um, and then I guess the last one is Maybank. Uh, so, okay. So Maple Tree REITs. So I invested. I bought another two hundred thousand shares of Maple Tree last month. Um, that is something I just I really really love these things. I I talk about them a lot, but there's just something really cool about it. It's it's like a passive paycheck, right? And a lot of people have passive income. I just like the fact that someone emails me every three months and is like, "Hey, we're gonna we're we're issuing you a dividend or we're giving you more shares," and it's substantial. It's seven percent. And it's maintenance free. Um, I'm trying to get a hold of someone in in Singapore that works for Maple Tree to interview them as well. I haven't had any contact with them yet, but yeah, um, 
the the only thing that that sucks about these things is they're hard to do because it requires you to go to Singapore to set up an account and get them. Like if if you could get them from the U.S. or you get them from maybe you could get them from like Australia. I'm not sure. They're they're just they're they're great, but there's that huge barrier of it's kind of like opening a foreign bank account in Singapore or Hong Kong. They're great to have, but you actually have to go there and have tr- sort of have trust with someone to get it set up. So. Right. Maybe we can find an easier way for people who are interested to to um, to get into them. Yeah, um, it's probably a lot of the the FATCA regulations, and um, you know, in the end, I'm I'm sure they're not going to open an account for five thousand dollars and go through the headache to do that. Yeah. Um. So I'm sure there's going to be a minimum investment that uh, you know they could do something that really matters. Sure. So that one is, is that one good to go? So I invested yeah, in that, that three sets, weeks ago. Yeah. So, you know, to give a little background on the accounting tax side of that one, I guess, is that is considered a passive foreign investment company. Um, now there's certain elections you can make with those to make them um, not as tax detrimental. You know, typically those are not the most optimal way to, uh, you know, set up your investments from a tax standpoint, but if there's certain types of investments, there's two other options. You can make one election called a QEF election if it's a certain type of PFIC that gives you a certain type of qualified reporting statement, which basically tax it, it taxes it pretty much as any other mutual fund. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, Maple Tree does not give that statement, and they're not qualified to do that. But they are qualified since they're on a you know a major market index to do what's called mark to market. So what we pretty much do at the end of the year is say, all right, Maple Tree is worth X. We bought in at Y. This is our mark-to-market gain or our mark-to-market loss. Um, you know, plus or minus any dividends taken. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it takes a little more tracking and a little more disclosure. But um, if those investments are yielding more than a United States REIT, and if you want to be diversified outside of only United States REITs then, um, you know, it's worth the effort. You know, the one thing I will say is if you're going to make an investment like this, um, make it worth it because between the pain, of course, to go out there and open the account and uh, the additional professional fees to, you know, pay a tax advisor to to figure these things out, um, it has to be an investment large enough for, you know, the returns to outweigh those costs. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we realized this year when doing the tax filing. Luckily, we had someone really good on this end that just kind of slapped it all together for us and made a pretty picture. But after getting through all that, I realized if I like these, I should just pretty much double down on them and make it not kind of borderline worth it, make it really worth it. So that was my decision this last month to, I think I added 50% to my investment on it. Um, And now we have we've been through it once on the accounting side and the reporting side. So we've been through it. We have a system in place. So going forward now, it seems very easy compared to say the first, the first investment in the first year of, of accounting. Right. Yeah. And, and these are things that, again, you just, you just don't want to mess up on, mm-hmm. um, on the tax reporting because just the penalties are very high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to report them on an F bar, you have to report them on an eighty nine thirty eight, and you have to report them on the PFIC reporting statement. You know, each each of which, if they're missed, hold a ten thousand dollar penalty. Yeah, no so, big deal. No, no big deal. Just a ten thousand yeah, you know, dollar p- penalty for a, a, yeah, a slip of text. 
<laughs> yeah, and that's even if you've reported the income. So, jeez. Oh, so, so, yeah, just just make sure you get. It. And they're not hard, and they don't, you know, they they don't change your tax scenario by reporting on those forms. It's just, um, to be honest, they're there to stop the people who are trying to actually hide their money. Yeah. Um, but it just trickles down to the pe- the actual honest people like Sam and and a lot of my other clients. But but not all of your clients, you mean? <laughs> I just said a lot. <laughs> well, listen, man. I there's so many other things I'd love to talk about: tax optimization strategies, some of the stuff that you know your is really your uh, your expertise. Um, although I know you love to give uh, financial advising advice, but. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, for the sake of time, so I am not an financial advisor. Do not take any of the vi- advice heard on the show. Uh, di- ditto <laughs> that. I need to get in the habit of saying that after every episode. <laughs> so luckily for me, it's um, it's ten thirty at night, and I've about polished off my bottle of wine. But I get to go to sleep. You've drank half a bottle of bourbon. You got to just start work. So. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I got just got a few calls to make to some uh, sales tax agents, auditors, and, and the, you know, if anything, I'll be a little more charming. Yeah. Yeah. Not to say you're never charming. Yeah. Got a couple of new client calls too coming in. They'll probably think I'm funny. <laughs> good stuff, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Always good to catch up. We will. Uh, Anytime. We'll leave details for how to contact you uh, for investment advice. Or, <laughs> or or a tax and accounting advice for all it's the listeners out there. Um, but yeah, man, it's been a blast. Thanks for coming on and uh, we'll catch up soon. All right, Sam. Talk to okay. you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.